Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans. Welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is the podcast where my wife and I critique and argue over horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe you never quite learn anything. Maybe we never enlighten you. We probably scare you a little bit. (laughs) Uh, But hopefully you have a good time just listening. So... Tonight we are continuing our Cabin in the Woods horror theme with the 2020 film Scare Me uh, from writer-director Josh Rubin, who also did the film Werewolves Within, which is out this year, and you should definitely check that out. It is a blast. For those who haven't seen Scare Me, so it essentially follows a guy named Fred, played by Josh Rubin, and he's sort of like this hack writer who goes off to this Cabin in the Woods to, you know, get some writing done and whatnot. And he ends up meeting Fanny, played by Aya Cash, who happens to be a very famous writer with a new bestseller that everyone seems to love. And anyway, long story short, they end up in a cabin together uh, during a blackout, and Fanny decides they should tell scary stories to each other. And then we witness what is, in my eyes, one of the most unique horror anthologies out there, because they're then swapping scary stories, but we don't actually, like, see necessarily the stories themselves yeah. like you know it's not like your typical anthology where we go off to whatever realm the tales <laughs> in right instead we actually watch them perform and act out these stories but we get you know little bits of audio and and stuff like that to kind of enhance the storytelling right mm-hmm. and and so it's just very unique in that way and it kind of builds with an actual you know typical to horror anthologies there's a little bit of a bookend story going on here too with yep. uh fred and fanny it's pretty interesting but so before we get into that, we do have our usual spoiler-free content for the week. So as far as releases go this week, just a few interesting ones I want to mention here. Uh, first up is a film called Demonic. This is Neil Blomkamp's new movie, and these will all be out by the time you're listening to this. This one's coming to VOD from IFC Midnight, uh, and it's basically about a woman who is recruited by this uh, sort of like therapeutic tech company or whatever, because her estranged mother is in a coma and they recruit her to go basically perform this procedure where like they virtually insert her essentially into her mother's brain and oh it sounds interesting but it's not oh (laughs) no like i was thinking about the cell well it's a lot like the cell actually so basically uh you know she gets inserted into her mother's mind and she's trying to like as the company puts it they want her to find a way to like make her mom more comfortable and ask her how she's doing and that kind of bullshit like it's all (laughs) it's all very like okay you know Mm -hmm. Um, and it turns out that her mom's like possessed and, and, and I, I won't get much further into that, to, you know, to save any sort of spoilers or anything, but I will just say this, uh, you can find my review on killerhorrorcritic.com of it. I think it's an extremely disappointing <laughs> <laughs> endeavor from Blomkamp. Uh, I, I was expecting a lot more. It is like the cell, but it's also kind of like 
The Cell meets The Sims, <laughs> which is an exaggeration because this is this is like a small part of the movie. But you know the way that they the way that they insert her into the dreams, you know they they basically create like a digital avatar of her. And so some of the scenes we're watching her walking around inside her mom's imagination as this like really fuzzy kind of wonky <laughs> digital person. And then there's people watching her from screens in the real world, and it's like this overhead view that looks exactly like The Sims. It's just missing, you know, the fucking green diamond above her head. And, I mean, that sounds like such a nitpicky thing to point out, but I just... It's just one of those movies where, like, everything just feels off. Yeah, it takes <laughs> you out it, of it a little bit. Yeah, and not not often the way it should be for a <laughs> film like this, you know? But, you know, all that being said, it is a Neil Blomkamp film. I do think he's a really interesting filmmaker. If you're a fan of his, you know, I, I would say check it out if you're interested. Just don't don't expect this to be his <laughs> masterpiece, all right? <laughs> uh, but anyway, so that's out this weekend. Uh, there's also the film uh, Blood Conscious, and this will be out on VOD from Dark Sky Films. And this one, I, I think I mentioned recently, but I can't remember it, but it's really interesting. It involves these people who go up to this cabin to visit family, and when they get there, they find everybody dead. Oh, and shit. there's <laughs> and there's a person, if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I've seen it, but, if, but there's a person claiming that uh, these people were demons or they were possessed or whatever. And then it just becomes this really intense, like kind of claustrophobic movie of you know who's telling the truth here what's really going on that kind of thing mm. uh so it's really interesting i highly recommend checking it out i really enjoyed it and then lastly is a film called uh the night house uh, which this one's coming to theaters uh unfortunately because i would love to watch it at home but yeah. <laughs> uh but you know this essentially involves a woman whose husband commits suicide and then she starts discovering like really strange things about her house that he built and it looks like there's a lot of like dual reality kind of stuff going yeah. on so so it looks really interesting uh, all of all of my friends have said that it's amazing that I've seen it uh so definitely check that out when you can but so one one other thing we like to do before we end the spoilers here is every week on at killer critics I like to put up a poll just kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film and what you think of it so between love it, it's fine, don't like it, and never seen it, where do you think the audience falls on? Scare me. <laughs> I mean, obviously they all loved it because this movie is so much fun. Like, I, I think this is one of my favorite films that came out in the last, like, well, the last year or so. Just because yeah. it's such a joy to watch. Yeah, I mean, it was my, it was one of my favorite films from last year. I think it made my top ten list for 2020 in horror. The majority says they love it, not everybody, <laughs> but <laughs> as long as I have uh, the majority. Yeah, so you're 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 right this time. Uh, so love it was 63.8 percent. I know, rare for you, right? Uh, <laughs> no. It's fine was 13.3 percent. Don't like it is six is 6.9 percent, and never seen it is 16.1 percent. So that's about what I expected. I will just say to the 16.1 percent. It's been a year. Go watch it. It's on Shutter. It's amazing. Do it. <laughs> really fun movie. Um, so we always like to get uh, thoughts from some of you on Twitter as well. So there were a lot of great comments for this one. I'm sorry I can't get to everybody. Uh, first up is at Just Heather Two, and Two is spelled out T W O. So Just Heather Two, and they say I love this movie. Watched it many times since it debuted on Shutter. Even got the DVD as a just in case because I don't want to be in a position where I can't watch it if I want to. 
Great story, great cast. I recommend it to friends all the time. Yeah, no, I fucking love this movie. I know that um, I've recommended it multiple times just because, like Matt said, this is a really interesting way to do an anthology. And personally, I love the characters in this. I'm not saying that they're all necessarily good characters, but they're really entertaining to watch. And I totally understand the feeling of never wanting to be without this film. What do you mean they're not good characters if they're entertaining to watch? (laughs) Well, I don't necessarily think that Fred is a good person, but it's I think not about them being good people. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you there because there that, there's this mindset that we've been talking about that comes out recently where people are like, "Well, I don't like the characters because they're not good people," and I'm not saying this is what you're saying. <laughs> uh, Put you, fucking words in my mouth because you're obviously not because you said you like them. But can we just stop, please? I, I, I'm I'm so frustrated like seeing comments lately all the time about people like misinterpreting that a bad character means that they're like badly written or that Mm. it's a bad movie or like you know just some of the shit that comes out is just i I just don't understand it you know like (laughs) like i i don't know about you people um i do not want to read or watch movies where everyone's perfect and has and all of their comments co-align with mine like i just (laughs) i i I, what are we even talking about anymore like do we just want a fucking boring utopia where everyone's so fucking actually depressed because we're just bored all the time no (laughs) i don't want to have conversations with people just agree with me on everything right i want to watch characters i disagree with i want to read about people i disagree with i want to have different opinions than my own (laughs) presented (laughs) to me because that's how you grow as a person (laughs) yeah as fred learns in this movie as fred learns exactly scare me is a perfect example of that so So, like, if you're one of those people, just stop. Please, stop. <laughs> I, I feel like I need to clarify myself of, I think that they're fun characters to watch, and I enjoy them. I was just saying that Fred, as a human being, is not a good human being. Oh, no, for sure. I'm in a mood, though, so I yeah. have to make a comment. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, but the but they are all really fun to watch. And, and look, I'm with just other two here, you know, physical media for life, people. You know, I... Fuck yeah. I, I, I see... I, <laughs> You know, the the newer generation feels like, uh, which is no surprise. I mean, fuck it, I'm an old man at this point, I guess. But uh, but it, it seems like, you know, uh, the next generation's maybe going away from physical media. And that really saddens me, you know, because I hate the thought of, like, as, as Just Heather 2 here says, of, like, you know, I wake up one day and maybe someone's hacked my account and all my digital movies are fucking just erased, you know? Like, like can you imagine what a nightmare that would be? Say you're, like, I, I, buying movies for years digitally and then you just wake up and they're all gone (laughs) i think you would cry i know i would cry i would definitely cry um so so no physical media for life i i I like having my collection of movies i anyway yes dvd good recommend it to everyone good (laughs) (laughs) uh but anyway thank you at just other two for the comment really appreciate it uh next up is at i'm gonna say this wrong Sidic rex so that's s-i-d-d-i-q-r-e-x they say, I loved everything, the premise, the tiny cast, who were all fantastic. Josh Rubin himself is so good. I just love the fact that it almost kind of feels like Josh Rubin is making fun of himself a little bit in the beginning because he is the writer, director, actor of the film, and oh, that's totally. also his character. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, this movie is so much fun, and I think that this also showcases that you don't always need a huge cast to have a really fun movie. That's that's the joy of this film, is that we get to spend time with a handful of characters and fall in love with them and then watch them do some stupid shit. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's the it, it's the beauty of a movie like this is that you do get really attached to the characters, you know, and and, and I did see some comments uh, when doing the poll for this of, you know, people who were indifferent about the characters and whatnot, and I, and I think that's totally fine. I can yeah. see how, you know, they are kind of obnoxious in a sense, so I can see how they would rub, you know, some of the some audience members Absolutely. the wrong way. Um, but, but for me, I was endeared to them and, and I love that we do get to kind of know them really well. You know, I love the isolation of it, but no, but I also, I also really do think that Josh himself is great in this, you know, yeah. jo- like Josh, you know, I admittedly, I wasn't super familiar with him before the movie. He has done a lot, you know, it's just, he's just, you know, I'll be honest, I, I, I mostly follow people doing horror stuff and I hadn't <laughs> seen Josh do a lot of horror stuff. So I wasn't as familiar. Sorry, Josh, if you're listening, but <laughs> So this was kind of like my sort of introduction to Josh, and I was just blown away. I'm like, not only did he write and direct this movie, which is phenomenal, but he's a really great actor, you know? Like, I, you know, watching him, I was just kind of like, you know, I I think one of the tragedies about Fred in this movie is he's actually kind of good at a lot of this stuff. He just, you know, maybe he doesn't put in the right work, whatever, we're going to talk about that, but... Um, but no, his performance is excellent. As is I Cassius, as is Chris Reds as Carlo. Like everybody in this movie is great. It, it, and that and that's the thing about Josh too is like if you if you've watched this, if you see his new film Werewolves Within, great at casting. Everybody's per- always perfectly cast. The characters are great. Uh, just a really really good character director whatever. So. Nice. <laughs> but anyway, thank you at Cidic Rex for the comment. Really appreciate it. Uh, next up is at <laughs> I'm gonna say this wrong at biggest i i want to say like big ass but it's biggest <laughs> underscore aloe so that's b-i-g-a-s underscore e-l-o-i and they say it is sincerely way more than i expected and my expectations were like medium high way funnier way clever way scarier a masterpiece once josh rubin is widely known everyone will look back at this one I definitely agree with that. I think um, when we had watched it for the first time, Matt had just kind of shown me a synopsis for it. My expectations for this movie were actually like medium low because it was just like, oh, they're telling scary stories in a cabin. Sounds interesting enough, but this movie blew me away just Mm. because of the nuance that you get with this. You know, we've talked about the characters and the nuance that all the actors bring to it. And then just the stories they tell themselves are so cool and different um and how all of it is shot just i don't know it's something different i'm excited to see it makes me really excited to see like where else you know josh goes with his filmmaking yeah i mean i you know i would personally say that i already think he's well on his way you know between between this which got rave reviews and werewolves within which is getting rave reviews uh i i forget what major publisher it was but somebody you know called it one of the best films of the year i I already, you know, think Worlds Within is going to be probably going to be one of my favorite horror films of the year. You know, we got a long way to go, but it's probably going to be one of my favorites. I, I think that Ruben is already with his two features proven that he's going to be a director to watch for a long time. You know, yeah. so, so no pressure, Josh. Again, if you're listening. <laughs> we're we're going to be watching everything you do. <laughs> exactly. And we're going to love it. Um, yep. But no, but yeah, it it is a masterpiece. I, I really do mean that. And, you know, I know that there are a lot of people who, you know, as we saw with our poll, there's a good majority of people, or not a majority, but there's a good chunk of people who, uh, you know, weren't huge fans of it. And, that, and again, I totally get that. Yeah. I just think that when you look at this film, it's just so incredibly unique in the way that it's done. I already kind of mentioned how, you know, the, the, the anthology style of it, it really is the most unique horror anthology film I've seen in such a long time. Yeah. You know, and those movies are hard to do. Like, yes. horror <laughs> anthologies are not easy to do. I think people think they're easy to do, 
because they might just assume like, oh yeah, you just throw a few stories together and you're good. Well, yeah, except you have to throw a few stories together and, <laughs> and it's not as easy as that. So, uh, so to do that and then find a way to present these stories in a completely non-traditional way for film and make it work, yeah. you know, I just, I just thought it was so inventive and so cool. So anyway, uh, th- thank you at biggest underscore Aloe for the comment. Really appreciate it. Uh, next up is at Pink Flower Dawn, and that's D-A-W-N for Dawn, so Pink Flower Dawn. And they say, absolutely adored this film, felt like a real love letter to the horror genre, cannot recommend it enough. Yeah, I think this is one of the, you know, few movies where normally I don't like when a movie references a whole bunch of lot of movies. Like, because you get that in this film. They, like, verbally are constantly referencing other movies. But with this film, it's done so well that it has that love letter feel. It's showing how much our characters love horror and how much Josh loves horror as a, as a filmmaker. And I think that that's so cool. And it's what makes us love this movie. No, definitely. I mean, you know, Fred as a character is constantly referencing uh, horror throughout, you know, making, like, j- j- the shining Jack Nicholson quotes, <laughs> right? And... And then Fanny comes over and is quoting the Crypt Keeper, right? Like, that's all great. My personal favorite reference in this is, you know, when they when they talk about Silver Bullet. Um, <laughs> of course it is. Well, because it, it was the thing that both put... So this is part of what made me um, really just admire Josh Rubin, right? Like, and, and want to get to know him is that, you know, I, I am endeared to anybody who loves werewolves as much as I do, right? <laughs> And and seeing as how Josh, you know, fit a werewolf story into this Silver Bullets reference, and then he went on to do Werewolves Within, you know, Josh, <laughs> I'm already very much endeared to Josh for that. I think that's great because uh, we need more people that love werewolves in the world. Yes. So. But but I just love the moment in the film when he's when Fred is referencing Silver Bullet and talking about how he thought that was a good movie, and then Fanny just comes around and is like, "Oh, it's childish trash," and, <laughs> and I'm just like, "Oh, fuck you, Fanny." <laughs> and, and, and I don't know. It's just one of those things that makes me laugh because I, I just love Silver Bullet so yeah. much, and and her saying that was just like, "Ow, my heart," because <laughs> because I know you're kind of right, but I still love it. <laughs> she's kind of right well it's not like silver bullets the most perfectly made movie ever you know like, yeah it's got its problems but i just really love that movie um but anyway so yes no it is totally a love letter to the genre and i really appreciate that uh so thank you at pink flower dawn for the comment uh and then lastly is a comment from at just underscore erica underscore and erica's e-r-i-c-a so that's just underscore erica underscore and they say, I love the idea of the movie. I love the acting and minimalism in the movie, but I did find it to be a little slow paced for me at times. However, the funky dance scene with Carla and Fanny is everything. I'll have to revisit it, and I might like it more the second time. <laughs> I fucking love the dance scene. Like, and I, I don't know. I might have to say this. I might take it back later, but I think that this has one of the best horror songs in it just because I love the musical number. It's up it's, there. I don't know. It's amazing. I will fight you. Oh, it's amazing. There's a long line of horror musical numbers, though. So. There is, but this one's great. But yeah, it's. I can understand, you know, kind of feeling like it's a little bit slow paced because it can take a little bit before we really get into the meat of the story. But look, I just I love these characters so much, and I love how just intense all the characters get into acting out their little stories i think that's what endeared me to this film is just how intense all of them are 
Yeah, no, I mean, they're definitely into it. Uh, <laughs> as far as the musical number, I mean, yeah, no, it's great. I, I constantly try to... It, I think people think that I'm joking on Twitter, and I mean, I sort of am, but... <laughs> Uh, I think people think I'm joking when I say that there should just be a musical number in every horror movie. And <laughs> obviously, I mean, that's an exaggeration. You know, I, I don't I don't know that a musical number would fit in very well with something like Hereditary, say, right? But <laughs> I think Hereditary would be better if it had a musical number. See, but maybe it would. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know until you try. Um, but but I again, I just really love that Josh, you know, f- found the time, I guess you could say. To, to throw in a musical number as well into this, you know, so yep. it's not so it's not just a horror anthology that's unique for all the little different stories uh, and how they're presented, but it's also, you know, how many horror anthologies do you know of where one story is entirely a musical? You know, yeah. you just don't, I mean, you just, again, just a really clever way to do this movie. Um, but thank you at Pink Flower Dawn for the comment. Really appreciate it. So one last thing we'd like to do before we get into spoilers here is just talk about the tagline versus the movie and what we think of it overall. So, the tagline for Scare Me was, want to hear a scary story? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I fucking love that tagline. Like, Because I think that it feeds into kind of what we were just talking about of this being a love letter to horror films. And for me, I just instantly think of Scream when I hear that. Oh. What's your favorite scary movie? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I am. So yeah, love the tagline. Obviously, love this film. Love all the characters in it. And really, for me, I love you know, how this movie showcases, you know, when you're hanging out with friends and you're telling stories, how into those stories you get. Because that's that's what I think the the beauty and the genius of this film is and how it's shot. I just want to watch it again already. Uh, Yeah, no, it's... <laughs> sure. Um, It's... uh, No, it's, it's a great tagline. I, I do think that it, you know, calls back to something like Scream with what's your favorite scary movie. It, it's definitely... It, it's... The thing I love about that tagline is, to me, it, it does set up what the movie is, because to me, what the movie is, is the excitement that someone like myself or you gets when someone approaches you and says, do you want to hear a scary story? Because my answer to that is always, yes, yes, I do want to hear <laughs> yeah. a scary story, you know, so fucking tell me the scary story. <laughs> like, it, it's just, it, it, it's that kind of thing. It, it, it calls back to, like, being a little kid, being around the campfire, you know, having like an adult or a friend sit you down and be like, all right, I'm about to scare the shit out of you, you know? And that's, I just, I love that feeling, you yeah. know? And, and that's what this movie is. This movie is a feeling of what it really means to, to love storytelling, you know? Like that, that's what Scare Me is to me, is it's a movie about storytelling. It's a movie about why it's important to us, why, uh, why we love it. And, and frankly, you know, just appreciating like how it works and, and talking about the process and all that kind of stuff. And like, there's just so few films, I think, tackle that concept as well as Scare Me does. Yeah. Uh, and it, and it's be, because of that, and I'll get more into this in a minute here, but it's become, you know, because of that, it's become a, a movie where it's like every time I feel like I'm in sort of s- some sort of creative slump, right? Uh, I always just think of scare me and, <laughs> and and certain dialogue that is screamed later on, you know, that I, I just think of that. And it's like it's inspiring. It's an inspiring movie. Like I cannot yeah. I cannot properly express the impact this film has had on me uh, over the last year and just convincing me to, like, you know, focus on things that I really want to do, you know, uh, creatively. So do you so, just picture Fanny yelling at you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I picture Fanny screaming, do the work. And I'm like, yes, ma'am, I will. <laughs> Don't have to ask twice. Um, 
But anyway, so we're about to move into spoiler territory right now. So again, if you have not seen Scare Me, please do go check it out. It is streaming on Shutter, so you can check it out there. Uh, highly recommend watching it. We are going to spoil everything, and yep. it's a great film. So please go check it out. <laughs> uh, but with that being said, moving to spoiler territory right now. So. Uh, again, small cast, but a great cast. We've got Josh Rubin as Fred, Aya Cash as Fanny, Chris Red as Carlo, uh, Rebecca Drysdale as Bettina, who's the taxi driver in the beginning, uh, driving Fred around. Who do you want to talk about? I have to talk about my absolute favorite character in this movie, Carlo, because he's amazing, and I think he's everybody's favorite character. He's kind of the best. You can't not love Carlo. Like, just baseline thing, I feel like... You know, sometimes it's in horror, it's so rare to get a character who is so energetically upbeat and positive and excited about everything. And that's really what I love about him in this film is that, like, you know, you do have Fred and Fanny who are sometimes at odds with each other. And Carlo is just so excited to be there and to have Coke and to, I mean, like... who isn't excited for Coke? <laughs> right? <laughs> But that's just, it's such a joy to watch his energy level. And he has my favorite line in the whole movie when they're they're doing the the snippet retelling of, of Fanny's story, Venus. And Carlo just goes, and it's a fucking deer! And it was the scariest part of the movie! And he's just so into it, and I love him for that. Beyond that, I think that for me with Carlo, he kind of represents kind of two different things in this film. You know, both Fanny and Fred, I think, are kind of representing writers on different ends of the spectrum, kind of. But for me, Carlo, on the one hand, represents the true blue just fanboy. He's he's all of us who just loves horror, loves being a part of it, just loves being a part of the community and involved in any way that he can. And he's not particular. He doesn't hold on to anything. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really cool to watch. And the other thing I think that he kind of represents in terms of, like, you know, potentially creative process and everything like that is I kind of see Carlo as the representation of the fact that there are so many creative people out there, people who could be writing like the next great bestseller, the next great blockbuster film, but they're just not. They have they have their regular day to day life. They're happy living. They don't need to be writing the way that Fred and Fanny need to. But there is creative genius in the the everyday man that you meet on the street. You don't you don't know the person who's delivering your pizza and what they're capable of. Because Carlo, I think, is incredibly creative throughout the film. Well, like maybe even more so than Fred. And I think that's so cool. Well, look, I mean, I think that's the case with uh, with both of our side characters, you know, because who, who I wanted to mention was Bettina, uh, <laughs> the taxi driver. Now, really quick, I will say that uh, Chris Wright is also, he's in a lot of great stuff. Uh, I would recommend Deep Murder that he's in, which is another horror comedy. It's fucking hilarious. Why are you making those eyes? You've seen it. You know what Deep Murder is. <laughs> oh, I do. He is amazing in that. Yeah. Uh, Deep Murder essentially is a is a like horror porn parody it's not a porno <laughs> it's it's about porn characters who find themselves in a horror movie and it's it's amazing so yeah. uh but anyway so no i i think patina fits that as well you know and, and it i think it's such a perfect way to set up the movie because you know so you've got this opening scene with patina driving fred to his cabin and the first thing she's asking him is like so you're a writer and you know eventually they start talking and what i think is so interesting here is that you know, Bettina's, like, trying to start a conversation. She's trying to be like, yeah, I'm a writer, too, you know? And and as she's talking about it, Fred gives off this 
like pretentious I'm better than you mm-hmm. uh, sort of attitude where he's like you know kind of not really paying attention to her he says things like oh yeah you know I'm a writer actor director you know I do everything <laughs> uh, like he he's he's not really engaging with her and it gives it gives off this this attitude that I've come across so many fucking times uh, here in LA where it's like you just meet people who think that because they're simply because they're creative or because they're in any part of the business that they just automatically think they're like better than you. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, so I, I've come across that a lot and I just think it's fascinating because, you know, you then later see Fred acting the exact same way towards Fanny <laughs> that Bettina was acting towards him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where he's starting to like, he's trying to make conversation with Fanny and she's kind of, you know, throwing him the cold shoulder a little bit when he first meets her and and, and it, making him feel small, just kind of the same way that he tries to make Bettina feel small, right? Yeah. It's just so interesting to me because I think it's kind of a commentary a little bit on like how, <laughs> and again, I don't know that any of this is what Josh intends, right? But I've noticed that myself in, in my years in film and in journalism is that you start to realize that there's like this chain of people that kind of like latch on to each other. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's really sad and pathetic, but it's just kind of how it goes. Like, like you just know, you just notice how, you know, it's like, it's like the second someone gets a little bit of success. Then the ass kissing starts. Then the ass kissing starts. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I mean, j- just for example, and not to call, I'm not going to call about out anybody specifically, but it's like, you know, look at Twitter sometimes. And it's like, you see everyone acting like they're best friends. You and I both know that not every single one of those people is fucking best friends, all right? They're no. doing that because they're trying to get opportunities out of each other, right? Yeah. So it's just, so it's just I, I don't know. It, 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 it really just strikes to me, I think, with a big problem in the industry is that, and, and we'll get to more of this later, but it just strikes the, the heart of how, you know, it, it's like we, we can't just appreciate other creatives. I, I feel mm-hmm. like that's part of the point I think that Rob, that Ruben's trying to make is that, you know, if we all just like encouraged each other and embraced each other, maybe there would be more success for all of us. Right. But yeah. instead, instead, you know, people like Fred try to go about it the wrong way where it's like, instead of as, as, uh, as Fanny later tells him, do the work instead of doing that, he's trying to like, you know, latch on and, yeah. and, and, and ride <laughs> coattails. Right. So, yeah. I do want to get into these characters. So, like, what what is, what do you think the stories that they end up telling actually say about these characters? You know, specifically Fred and Fanny. So, I think the stories really give us a good insight into like where our characters are and why they're at the cabins. Because, like, with um with Fred's fragile Fred, <laughs> poor fragile Fred, poor fragile Fred. <laughs> I am like a a big thing with him that we see throughout the film is that like. He is, he's lost. He doesn't know what he's doing with his life. He's unhappy. And I think that really comes through in his stories because we're constantly seeing as he's trying to tell stories that he's struggling. Like he's struggling with details and plot points and things like that. He's just, he's not as strong as writer as Fanny. And I think that really speaks to his uncertainty about what he's doing with his life, where it's going, and the fact that he doesn't have any kind of foundation um, to really, like, build up off of. Mm. And then the other thing is, like, his his werewolf story. 
his werewolf story spends a lot of time on the beginning, on the murder of the family. And I think that speaking to like what he's dealing with kind of at home, we get kind of little hints about it, about the breakup with a girlfriend or a wife, and it gets steadily darker and darker. And I think that like his werewolf story is really the insight into that in the fact that he legitimately thought maybe that he had this perfect happy family and there's just this monster that's him that's his rage and like the negative things that he's doing and it's destroying everything and he doesn't feel like he can control it because normally with the werewolf story it's all about the end right it's about the big climax and the big fight of the werewolf at the end and with yes (laughs) well and with his the the ending is such a whimper of a story of a werewolf story it's not even a big werewolf fight at the end it's just like the son getting vengeance by shooting a dude in the face so I think his is really speaking to like his uncertainty and the darkness that like he's dealing with. So I, I think you're onto something with the the idea of you know the the werewolf kind of representing him and sort of his anger and frustration at home. I think that that's dead on because uh, that that is traditionally what the werewolf is in storytelling, right? The werewolf is kind of like our our darker side, our more animalistic side, right? Mm-hmm. The side that we can't control. And, and you do get the impression with Fred that, like, you know, I don't know, maybe he's a good guy, but there's also this part of him that he just can't really contain, you know, yeah. uh, no matter how hard he tries, maybe. Because he, he, I do get the sense from the first half of this film that he is trying to change. He is trying yes. to contain that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Fanny just ends up, you know, <laughs> kind of maybe exposing all the things that he's so frustrated with himself in and that just has it all come pouring out right so mm-hmm. so i do think that that's part of it i think the other interesting thing about about the stories and the way that they go is that they both come from a place of childhood you know they both come from a place of sort of learned experiences right so like there's a you know so there's that phrase right what you know and and fanny even brings it up at one point or, or no and fred even brings it up at one point where he's like uh, you know, when Fanny confronts him on, like, why not make her woman? He's like, well, you know, write what you know, and which is the <laughs> bullshit. That's not the right way to use it, you know. It more refers to of just, like, write, exper- write about experiences that you kind of understand, right? Like thematics yeah. and stuff like that. And anyway, so, you know, I feel like a lot of these stories that they're telling are rooted in their own childhood. So, you know, when I look at Fred, for example, his stories kind of involve, like, the kid becoming the hero, the parents die, Mm-hmm. right uh like that's his story the parents are killed and he's he kind of becomes like the hero in the end and and then as it goes on like he's really uncomfortable with the stories that fanny's telling you know it, you know like the one that he thinks is going to involve a little pedophilia. bit of pedophilia going on right <laughs> some kind of unseedy stuff and and he gets really uncomfortable with that and he even mentions at one point like you know can can we stop with uh the the kitty horror right or like the kid stuff and yeah and i i it just makes me feel like you know he also has a line too where he mentions mom was a bitch and like i just i just i i think that there's something not being talked about in his past where it's like it, it could be truthful it could be his own interpretation you know like maybe his mom was actually a good person and he just misinterpreted heard because he's a sexist asshole like i don't (laughs) but i get the sense that like something happened to fred as a kid yeah you know i i get the sense that maybe he was abused maybe there were things that happened to him to you know kind of get rooted in his mind like that and then on the flip side when you look at fanny's stories 
hers all kind of involve details of men trying to take advantage of her. Yeah. You know, uh, men in seedy stuff of like you know the grandpa could be a pedophile, but he could mm-hmm. not be. Like you know. And then the story with the troll, like, has a lot of, you know, sexual harassment and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, that Fanny's bringing into the story. And so that also, so on her side, that gives me the impression that, like, she's experienced quite a bit of this. And she's bringing what she knows to the yeah. table, right? And her own sort of trauma. So so I guess I guess at the crux of it, I think what's interesting is that the stories are all kind of revealing their traumas in a sense. Mm-hmm. You know, of things that they have been through. And they're using the storytelling as catharsis, which is, I think, what storytelling is for a lot of people who do write and do this kind of thing for a living, is that, you know, it is catharsis. It's getting those demons out and, you know, trying to kind of put them into the light where you can sort of try to understand them better, right? Yeah. That's right. For me, I feel like with, with Fanny's, I think it definitely can be referring to, like, childhood stuff. But honestly, I kind of feel like her stories are her processing kind of her newfound fame because like her grandpa's story is really interesting because, you know, her her female character, her little kid character acts out not because something happens, but but because she's worried something will happen. And I think that that's a very like, you know, common worry with with women sometimes Mm. you end up in situations where you don't exactly know what's going on. You don't know what people are expecting of you. You don't know how they're reacting to stuff and kind of the stress from that and the unknown that comes with it of knowing something, knowing someone wants something from you, but no idea what can cause you to like lash out. And we see that with Fanny. Like she snaps at Fred a couple of times when she feels like he's overstepping bounds. And I think that she's at the cabin because she's trying to like recenter herself and figure out how to set up boundaries. And I think her sweater speaks volumes to that. Her fucking sweater in this movie is covered in hands. And I don't think, right. <laughs> I don't think that that's like a coincidence. Well, it's a, so you're, you're implying like it's hands trying to grip hands trying to grab her hands trying to grab on the her success, that kind of thing. Right. Exactly. Everybody wanting something from her and she just doesn't have much left to give. Um, you know, that's why I think it's interesting that we're getting like the grandpa story and the troll story. Um, but we don't get Venus like Mm. Venus gets brought up, but that's the one story that even though it gets told, we don't actually see play out. We just see snippets. Um, so I'm curious, why don't you, why do you think we don't see Venus in the movie? I think this is, this is interesting. So it's like, you know, so during, during the scene where we're seeing Venus, I mean, first of all. You know, th- this whole movie is through Fred's point of view, right? Yeah. It- it's not Fanny's story. In my mind, it's Fred's story. Uh, I mean, y- you could ar- you could make a case for both of them, right? But I but I think it's Fred's story, and so you kind of see, in my mind, everything through his point of view, which is which is part of why I think that Fanny maybe comes off a little bit more obnoxious, <laughs> a little bit more aggressive, right? Um, because I think that that's just I think part of that. Part of that's probably what you're talking about, where she's probably just fed up with people like Fred, right? Yeah. Uh, But I think that another part of that is just really seeing it through Fred's point of view of, like, maybe he's just taking her comments as being so aggressive, right? Oh, definitely. You know, like, that's kind of the way he feels about it. He feels like she's being blunt. He feels like she's being mean. Uh, And maybe that's not really the reality, you know? I mean, this is obviously a film that's not completely grounded in reality, so you have to kind of look at it. You know, in certain ways that uh, Josh Rubin's like manipulating the reality of it. 
but so but so i i think there's that but then there's also i think that he keeps asking about venus and he keeps telling her to do venus Mm -hmm. and i think that part of that is you know he has that moment early on where he's looking at her on his computer and he says something like you're not so great right (laughs) you know yeah and and i think i think that that's kind of like an attitude that a lot of people start to have towards those that frankly are doing better you know Uh or are more successful is uh they start to find reasons of like why they're not in the same position right and you know so they make up things like oh you know you just got that because of this and that and you know they don't actually like you know put any thought towards like oh you you did something right you know Mm -hmm. so i think that he he is so obsessed with this idea of just proving to himself that fanny's not really that great (laughs) that that he wants her to tell venus he wants to find ways to like poke at her greatest work right And, and i think that the reason we end up not hearing it part of it is probably because he's actually so fucking mind blown by (laughs) by by how good it actually is that you know what we're seeing there is i feel like that's kind of the moment maybe where fred decides to kill her because (laughs) (laughs) uh because he's just he's just so overwhelmed by the feeling of realizing like i will never be that good (laughs) yeah you know i can definitely see that And, and, and just one other thing with that is that i also feel like he he's just so obsessed with his jealousy of it that he refuses to look at actually why it is a bestseller Mm -hmm. you know so like there's the comment where he says he's never read it right and even though he's like talking about it and how he knows her and all that kind of stuff and he says he doesn't read which fanny makes a great point that (laughs) stephen king says to you know reading makes makes you a better writer and i absolutely agree with that if you want to write read please for the love of god i mean you can't you can't expect to write and not read read and not understand how it's done right yes um (laughs) but but so i i so i think that it's sort of reflective of how you know a lot of us maybe look at successful people and it's easy to say oh you're not so great or oh, you just are in this position for that or that. It's more difficult to actually study and analyze why. Yeah. What, what, it, what about it? What about you is it that makes you successful? What about it? What about your work is it that is so good? And I think that's the thing that a lot of, you know, people like Fred maybe fail to see is actually studying others' works and learning from them. Yeah. You know? And so that, to me, that's part of two of why it's muted out is just that, it's it's just commenting on like how he is not actually paying attention to something that could help him. <laughs> well, and I definitely think that's the case with Fred throughout this whole movie. Yeah. Um, I you know I I think to your point, I do think this movie is all through Fred's perspective, and I do think specifically the Venus stuff is his because it is his moment of conflict because he's been asking to be proven why Venus is so great, and when it's shoved in his face. You know, I think that he does have this kind of like crisis of self because Mm. I think he does realize, A, this is amazing work. But I also know, you know, me personally, I'm, you know, a a hermit person. Matt has had to routinely show me blockbuster films and well-known films because I just haven't seen them. And I know for me, I can kind of relate a little bit to Fred in that moment where something's been so hyped up and maybe you've already decided you have a negative mindset towards it. And then having to sit and acknowledge that it's good is sometimes really fucking frustrating. 
I guess. I mean, I, 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 I was almost with you for a second, so I thought you were going to be like, and then you hear it and it's disappointing, but... But no, I don't think it's difficult to admit that something's good if it's hyped up. Like oh, I hate when somebody keeps telling me that I'm going to like something and then I do. Because I just want to go into it. And Why would you wrong. hate that? Because I'm a contrary person. And I don't like being told what to feel. All right. Well, I hope none of you are taking any life lessons from Chris right now. You um, should never so- take life lessons from me. No, you know... No, I, I do. Th- I So look, I, I think that this scene is emblematic of how Fred is really kind of objectifying Fanny, but not not in a way that that we typically consider objectifying. You know, so when you think objectifying, you know, you think of like, yeah, you, you look at per- you look at a person sexually as an object. Right. Yeah. That's what we usually interpret with objectifying. But when I say that, I mean, more so that he's he's making Fanny out to be like a representation of of kind of everything that he hates, right? Yep. So so a, another interesting point is I think that you got to have that scene early on where he's looking at, again, looking at those photos of her, and in his desktop background is his ex, but we don't see her face. Mm-hmm. We see Fanny's face. Yep. And, and I to me, that is kind of implying that to Fred, they're kind of becoming one and the same person. Oh, you think he's projecting? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that I think that he has that he probably has a problem with women. Oh, definitely. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's definitely there between the way that he treats Fanny and calling her a girl, and the way that he treats his ex and calling his mom a bitch. He he very obviously has an issue with women, right? Yep. So I think that to him, they're one and the same person. He is projecting everything about his ex onto Fanny, which again is why I think that she comes off in such a such an off-putting way to him because mm-hmm. i because i think that from his point of view you know again he's just ready he's just ready to be insulted and fight over everything right yeah. so 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 i do think that he's kind of putting them in the same box together and by not listening again i think that he's just making fanny out to be like this representation of everybody that's successful every every woman that has you know, emasculated him or whatever. <laughs> like he, 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 he turns her into that image, mm-hmm. and so in that moment, we're not hearing it because we're. It doesn't matter to Fred. Like her no. story, her story doesn't actually matter to him. You know, all that matters is that she's better than him, and he hates her for that. Absolutely. <laughs> so speaking of that, you know, this this film does also kind of touch on like how how white male creators are kind of navigating uh, creative spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Now in, in twenty twenty one and you know, how, how things are changing and we're being more inclusive. And Fred is very much like, you know, not really that kind of guy, it seems. So so what, what do you think the movie is trying to say here about that? I think that the movie is trying to say that, you know, if, if you are a white male creator, I don't think this movie is trying to, like, shit on white dude creators at all. But I think that it is asking that you challenge yourselves and that you're going to be held to new expectations. And they're not, it's not a high bar. I don't think that the new expectations that people are asking for creators are a high bar. <laughs> I, 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 not to interrupt, but I, wa- mm-hmm. I want people to consider the Betchel test that's mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. It is such a low bar. Such a low bar. <laughs> to pass the Betchel test. And yet so many writers fail at it and it boggles my mind. So f- really quick, for those who don't know the Betchel test, it's basically just, you know, have scenes with women talking about things that aren't men. Yes. <laughs> you know? Like it, it's really pretty simple, right? Like, mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it's have conversations of two women 
talking about something that's not their relationship with men. Yep. It has know? to be two named female characters who don't talk about men or love lives. Anything right. else. Right, exactly. Like, it, it, is, <laughs> it, is so, it is so simple as a concept. Yeah. And yet, if you go back and watch... Go back and watch a lot of horror movies from the eighties. <laughs> I guarantee you will find very few conversations between two named female characters that are about something that's not men. Yep. <laughs> you know, so so anyway, continue. Well, and well, and I think that's what this movie is getting at because we do have that movie. We do have that moment early on after Fred's told his werewolf story where Fanny makes a very innocuous suggestion of, well, why can't your main character be a girl? Just a very simple thing and calls him out that there are too many like male action stars. And I think that's the point of this film is when it's talking about, you know, white male creators in these new spaces, it's challenging yourself to look at your work and be critical and realize where your biases are and take criticism from people. Because, like, you know, you've, you've brought it up with, like, you know, kind of Fanny and Fred's relationship that he is very adverse to any kind of criticism she gives mm. and here's the thing fred you're a fucking nobody you haven't written shit now now hold on i want to correct you there i don't consider fred a nobody okay now the reason i'm saying that is because i think that's a dangerous mindset for writers to have Fair you're enough. not a nobody because you're not published okay <laughs> so you're starting you're a beginning writer like mm. you're you're getting your start and stuff like that, and you're having access to a fucking like best selling author. Like this is a person who not only is willing to talk with you and but engage and ostensibly have a writer's workshop with you. It just so happens that it's a woman. And I think, you know, watching Fred's, you know, attitude towards her the entire time, the fact that he won't take criticism from someone who's more successful than him, and she even calls him out on it. He tries to, like, say that line of, like, just because you're a best-selling author doesn't mean you get to school me on story. And she's like, yes, it absolutely does. I've proven it. I've done, as we've said, I've done the work and I've made it. You should listen to what I say. And I think that's what this story is really getting at, that if you're going to be, honestly, any creative in this new environment, you need to be open to criticism from other people and, you know, accept the fact that you know, you're maybe going to have to challenge your own mindsets with stuff. And if you don't, you're going to end up like Fred and you're going to have a fucking fireplace poke, uh, fireplace poker sticking out of your midsection. Uh, yeah, I don't know about the last part, but <laughs> <laughs> so look, I, I take it, I take it a little bit differently. Of I mean, course. I, 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 I agree with most of what you're saying. Yeah. You know, I do think that, I, I do think that part of the point here is to learn. I mean, Yes, first of all, look, if you want to write, if you want to do anything creative, learn to take criticism. It's very important. You have you have to know. <laughs> you yeah. have you have to know how to take advice when someone's trying to offer you advice, right? Mm -hmm. Cuz I guarantee as Fred, as, you know, as you pointed out, Fred says she has no right to school him on story and she does have a best-selling book. Yeah. So I think I think she has a little right to at least <laughs> offer advice. <laughs> might be worth listening to. It might be worth listening to. You know, and, and and that was a problem that I saw all the time with people in writing classes and film school and all that is that there are just so many people who like refuse to take <laughs> any sort of criticism, and and look, it's never going to help you in the long run. So if you're listening and you want to do that kind of stuff, please understand that that is just the part of the process, right? That's how you get better. Uh, it's how you get better, and and look, and that's I think that so this is what I think is interesting is that 
I, I think I think you covered everything pretty well as far as like uh, a white male creator working in the space. It's also something that I like about Josh Rubin so much is that, you know, in just his first two movies, he's already proven that he is really good at this. You know, yeah. he is really good at being inclusive. I mean, Werewolves Within star, stars a black hero, which you see so fucking rarely in werewolf <laughs> movies or horror in general, right? Yeah. You know, Aya Cash is the hero in this movie. Like, it just... He does a really great job with that stuff and, and and being inclusive and being diverse with his casting. But but the other but the part I took out of it that I thought was interesting that kind of connects to the whole, you know, white male in the workplace thing is just such an idea that we're better together than we are separate. Yes. You know, so something I noticed about this film is like, look, uh <laughs> Fred's story by himself, the werewolf story. It sucks. Like, <laughs> like, like, like Josh Rubin's perform or, or Fred's performance, right? Uh, acting out the story is really great. Yeah. You know, I actually think that Fred probably should have just quit writing and went and been an actor. He's yeah. really good at it, you know? <laughs> so his performance of the story is great. The story itself sucks. You yes. know, it, it's, it's like the lamest world story you could possibly ever tell. And then you have Fanny who tells her grandpa's story. Grandpa's story is pretty good. Yeah. Not entirely original, you know. It's not. It's not like the most perfect uh, story ever told, but it's it's very effective because that's what Fanny's good at. She's telling. She's good at telling effective stories. But it's when the two of them start to work together that the stories really become unique and yeah. fascinating. You know, like like the troll story, hundred percent unique. Mm-hmm. The the musical, maybe not hundred percent unique. But very fun. Yep, that's because uh, Carlo's there too. Well, right, but but I think I think the point is is just that you know basically as as the film is going on, the stories kind of seem to get better. I mean, you know, everyone has their preference on what they like better, but mm-hmm. but the stories sort of get better depending on what you want out of a story, right? Yeah. And and so I to me that just touches on this idea of like, look, you know, going along with the inclusive inclusivity conversation mm-hmm. and taking criticism, it's about you know, to me there, it's about just learning to work and create a spaces together. Yeah. You know, like like uh like Fanny's a great writer. It doesn't mean that Fred or Carlo can't inspire her for something better. Exactly. You know? Fred's not a great writer, mm-hmm. but Fanny brings out the best of him. Exactly. You know, so it's like so it's just basically, you know, don't it, it I, to me it's a commentary on like don't be stuck in your own head on these things. Like don't mm-hmm. be so stubborn that you know that you're so dead set on the way that you want to do something that you don't that you don't be inclusive that you don't take others opinions that you don't work together with people yeah you know it's 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 like uh (laughs) and it's also kind of a commentary on the film industry in that sense too right where it's like you know you do have so many white men at the top that just want to do things their white guy way (laughs) (laughs) and and the rest of us are just like hey if you took a second to just you know, fucking do things with other people. Like mm-hmm. you could actually put out some pretty good stuff. You put out some amazing stuff. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's kind of the thing for me that I find interesting in looking at, like, you know, Fred and Fanny. Because I agree with you. I think that Fanny's stories are really effective, but she has a tendency to, I think, get lost in some of the messaging that she's trying to do, and having that kind of overshadow her stories. Sometimes she brings up later in the movie. You know, the fact that her work gets stolen from and the only way that she gets where she is is that she does it better than everybody else. And so I think that this movie is really kind of touching on this idea that now white male creators are being asked something that they haven't been really asked before. Mm. And that's to do the work. 
I don't know if you feel the same way about that theme. <laughs> uh, yes and no. Uh, I, I, yes, because well, for actually, no, it's the easier one. Uh, no, because <laughs> I think that you know <laughs> there are obviously plenty of examples of white dudes who have worked really hard to get to where they are, and I'm not, yeah. not going to take that away from them. But no. but at the same time, yes, because there are alternatively a lot of white dudes who are in the position they are in. Because they're a mediocre white dude yeah. who got it over someone who was probably more de- more deserving of it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and got it specifically because they're a white dude. So, <laughs> and, and for any of you who are listening who are like, oh, that's such bullshit. Why are people always talking about white dudes in the industry like this? I've worked in it. Yeah. I, can tell, I can tell you <laughs> firsthand that so many of the people above me were mediocre white dudes who are not talented. Yep. You know, and I've watched people like I have best friends who who are women in the industry who struggle so fucking hard just to get noticed, you know. <laughs> uh meanwhile, they've got like douchebag white male coworkers who just get fucking drunk and make bad decisions all the time and they're the ones who get promoted, right? So it's like yeah. So it's definitely a problem, and and it's something that again I do think Scaramy's touching on here, right? But uh, I already forgot what your question was. Uh, <laughs> as far, but but as far as do the work, I mean, look, you know, th- this I think to me, th- th- this is a this is a really hard message I think to take in for people, and, and I mm-hmm. wonder, you know, I I do wonder like how certain creatives might have responded to this film that maybe took it a different way, you know. Like for me personally, I, I take the I take Fanny's whole do the work speech mm-hmm. as as inspirational of like yes you know do the work go out there like don't be complacent you, if you want to be successful you have to go do it you ha- you can't just sit around and wait for opportunities mm-hmm. you can't you can't be the white male dude like Fred <laughs> who just waits for someone to promote you because you're a fucking white dude right like you have to go work right yeah and as Fanny points out like. Because she's a woman, she's had to work twice as hard mm-hmm. uh, to get to where she is, and, and I think that's very factual. And it, but you know, but then I, I assume there's also creators out there who like maybe the message is too hard for them. <laughs> you know, like maybe like maybe they take the message as in like, well, I work, you know, even though they probably don't. And yeah. <laughs> like like basically, it's just I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is you know, scare me is tough love. Yes. Scare Me is tough. It's a tough love movie mm-hmm. because it, it is touching so deeply on the concept of what it takes to be successful. Yeah. You know, and 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 how there are so many like Fred who maybe think they're great and, and just can't admit that they're probably not, you know, mm-hmm. or maybe they could be great but they're not willing to put the work into it to be great. Right. Yeah. So, you know, like Fanny has like, and I think that's, I think that's an important thing to notice too, is like Fanny through this whole film is, you know, taking notes and stuff like that. And meanwhile, you see Fred doing none of that. And Fred's worried about his fucking, you know, ex that he wants to murder or whatever. And like, (laughs) you know, and so I, I think there's a, there's a really good, you know, thematic comparison there of just like what it really takes to be great. Yeah. The other thing that I think is just in here, though, <laughs> is that <laughs> there's also, <laughs> again, I don't know if this is what Ruben intends, but I also think that there's a message here of kind of how ruthless the film industry is and, or, or how ruthless just the creative uh, industry is. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing. Fanny's a bit of a hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because they're, you know, and the reason I, 
basically we we end with Bettina stealing Fanny's work. Yes. We end with Bettina stealing Fanny's work and turning it into Scare Me the Book, right? Yes. And what I find fascinating about the movie is I think that there it's never spoken out loud, but I've always been curious of like what really is Fanny's goal with hanging out with Fred. Mm-hmm. Does Fanny like Fred? Does Fanny have a romantic interest in Fred? No. Does Fanny? Well, <laughs> does she? Because they push. She pushes that kiss kind of hard until he fucking freaks out. <laughs> you know, do, is she just there to encourage him? Is she there to steal from him? Because you know, because she's there. You know, like basically, she comes over and she's like, "Hey, tell me your werewolf story," and then he tells her, and she's like, uh, "It wasn't that good. Never mind. I'm gonna leave." Right? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> um, essentially, it's just, it's just kind of commenting, I think, on how like. There is a ruthlessness to this industry. Yeah. There there are a lot of people who use you, mm-hmm. you know, who who want to steal from you, take your ideas, turn it into their own kind of thing, right? You know, I have mixed feelings about it because, like, look, it's not that I feel like Fanny can do no wrong. I mean, a little bit because I love her and I think she's amazing. But, yeah, I do think that it is kind of tapping into... The fact that, look, if you are working creatively with somebody else, whether, you know, professionally or just as friends, there is a possibility of this scene like what we have when they're all eating pizza together and they're just kind of tossing out ideas. And Fred has this idea of a teen who is a ghoul or some shit like that. And then Carlo is the one who comes up with an amazing name, which I already forgot what it is. Too cool for school. (laughs) Fucking love it. And Fanny immediately goes to write it down and Fred gets possessive of it. And then it becomes really the question of when you're just hanging out and talking with people and tossing around ideas, who do they belong to? And to your point, it generally goes to the more successful person. No. What do you mean mean, by that? What does that mean? (laughs) Like, so I feel like with that, if Fanny had taken her notebook, like, let's say, because, you know, to your point with Bettina's book, there's a fucking werewolf on the cover, which meant she took notes about that werewolf story. Like, not just her own stuff, but she did take notes of his stuff. Well, so look, I mean, this is what I mean. It's like, she's stealing. Like, this is what I'm trying to say is like, it, 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 you know... (laughs) It's just interesting because the whole there's to me, it's commenting on like the sort of toxic nature of it all, Mm -hmm. you know, because Fanny is probably the character that we root for the most in a sense. Like some of you might find her obnoxious. Like Chris said, I find her really appealing. You know, Mm -hmm. like I I like her as a character. I love her. And and I respect her. But but she is also kind of using Fred, (laughs) you know, like I, I really do get the sense that. So here's how I think about it. I think I have this gut feeling that Fanny was working on a concept mm-hmm. like the film that we see. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe Fanny was working on that kind of concept and she went there because she was maybe writing about a character like Fred <laughs> mm-hmm. and and thought, hey, what a great opportunity to go play this out in real life and see how that goes, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, because she does the work. <laughs> well, exactly, because she does the work. No, 
I think I think it definitely that's an undercurrent that we get. I think the overall current that we're seeing in the film is really kind of calling out the people who feel like Fred. They look at the movie industry and they're like, I can do that. That's easy. It's not that hard. Like Fred says that over and over again. And Fred belittles, you know, Fanny's work over and over again by saying, I could do that. It's easy. I could be successful and everything like that. So, you know, I I think that that's our overarching thing with the do, you know, do the work mantra that we're getting. But yeah, there is that undercurrent with it where like, I feel like Fanny probably looks at Fred and she probably went over there because she doesn't have power and she wants to figure things out. And she starts talking with this aspiring writer and she kind of notices that he doesn't really do the work. So what's the harm in no, taking... No, 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 you're missing the point. I don't, I don't think that has anything to do with she notices that he doesn't do the work, so oh. she's going to steal from him. I, she intends to steal from him. You think she goes over there with that idea? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. No, what? <laughs> no, that, that's what I've been saying for the last five minutes. Yeah. It's like she... She, I, I, I get the impression that she's been working on a story like that, mm-hmm. you know, so she, she meets Fred and gets in and has this kind of idea in her head of like, oh, you, you're exactly like kind of the character I've been writing about, you know, this fucking dude who sucks and, <laughs> and thinks he's great and is like this incel motherfucker, right? You know, and like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's an incel. Um, you know, <laughs> so, so she goes, so she goes over there to basically take advantage because, because look, part of, again, I'm not, this is not to belittle Fanny at all. Yeah. I, I think, I think that, again, I, I'm not trying to put words in Ruben's mouth, but like, I think that this is touching on part of the toxicity of the culture around the creative industry Mm -hmm. is that everyone's kind of a fucking snake, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like they really are. And, And Fanny, you know, for, for her sweater and for all the hands grabbing at her and for her you know, for all her frustration of people trying to latch on to her, mm-hmm. she's also, she basically admits that because, you know, like, she calls Fred a, a, a white dude who steals. Yeah. And she basically, for better or worse, or, you know, for more or less says that she does the same thing, just better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because because essentially if she's saying do the work and we get the impression from the film that part of doing the work is kind of like stealing from other people kind of stealing well not necessarily stealing from other people but but yeah kind of you know a little bit like basically just being ruthless yeah i I think i I think that's the ultimate thing about it is being ruthless yes you know and fanny is ruthless yes she is and fred is not (laughs) no he is not he's a marshmallow he's a bit of a marshmallow wrapped in misogyny a little bit (laughs) So anyway, we got to start wrapping up here. I don't know if we actually said anything important there, but uh, but who is your killer idiot of Scare Me? Like, I'm going to be honest. Like, for me, it's Fanny. It's Fanny for going over to that cabin. And, like, there's red flags with Fred before they really start drinking and doing coke. And I don't know. I guess as a woman, I'm just kind of like, I'm not, like, blaming her, but I'm also just like, Dude said he wanted to kill his ex-girlfriend. Uh, you get the fuck out of there. That's maybe not a place you want to be. So, even though she doesn't die, I still think that she should have skedaddled a lot earlier than she did. Yeah, probably. But, you know, she <laughs> just wants that book idea inspiration for Fred so badly. Which, by the way, you know, really quick to, to emphasize that point. Uh, when Fred first meets Fanny... 
she's got that limp in her leg, right? Mm-hmm. This is me super reading into that. But here's two people going opposite ways on the path, right? Mm-hmm. And it almost kind of strikes me as like, so here's Fred coming one way. He's trying to get to where Fanny is, you know, being successful, basically. Yeah. And Fanny isn't necessarily going Fred's way. But since Fanny has this injury in her leg and a limp, I take it as kind of like Fanny needs a boost of inspiration, kind of like where Fred's at. You know, Fred's in this place where he doesn't really have any inspiration, doesn't know what to do. I feel like Fanny's kind of in that place, which is why she ultimately goes over to steal from Fred. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see you know? that. So anyway, um, my killer idiot is Fred because, <laughs> <laughs> because you know, I, I, I basically look at him as wasting his opportunity with Fanny. Yes. You know, like here, here's this person who is successful. They're doing everything that you want to do. They're trying to, you know, communicate with you. And I wouldn't necessarily be, I wouldn't necessarily say be friends with you since Fanny is kind of you know, shitting on him every chance she gets, but, (laughs) but yeah, no, I I just feel like he's wasting his opportunity with her, you know, because here's this person who is trying to offer advice, who's trying to help him. And he's just kind of, you know, so fed up with his own ego or, or so into his own ego that he just ignores it at every chance. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and like, you know, I, I just, I, I can't tell you how many times, like, uh, either I myself or other people have cost themselves opportunities because of stuff like that. Right. So, So it's just, it's trying to take into mind that where, you know, it's striking at the importance of like, you know, just don't, just don't shut people out because they're more successful than you. Yeah. You know, like they're not, uh, you know, basically getting to the point of like, don't, don't objectify Fanny the way that Fred does. (laughs) Yeah. Where it's like you view her as just her success and not as the person that she is. Right. So, so yeah, no, he's my killer idiot because it's like. You have this perfect opportunity to actually learn from somebody who's doing it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, Fanny even invites him to go get coffee the next day, right? And yeah. And he decides, well, instead of that and becoming friends with you <laughs> and possibly having, you know, help to get into the industry that I want to work in, I'm going to kill you instead. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, he's my killer idiot. Uh, what about your killer death? And granted, I know that there are there's only one real death that we see on screen, but mm-hmm. we're going to stretch it a little bit and we can say that any of the deaths that happen figuratively in the film <laughs> uh, will work as well uh, for me it's it's gonna go to the beth character in the talent show she's the the singer because she's the one who has the devil just like rip an arm through her chest and it's amazing and then the devil plays a guitar and i feel like that's pretty fucking amazing and dope pretty fucking amazing uh I'm just going to go with the parents that are killed by the werewolves because <laughs> of course I just, you are. I just love werewolves. And part of the reason I love werewolves is they're so goddamn gory and aggressive. And I just love the idea of the werewolf just like ripping people's heads off and shit like that. So. And he does a great job with that scene. Just like screaming, like Josh is just screaming and doing all of the motions. And it's fantastic. And it's the only time we have a prop in the entire movie is when we have the bloody werewolf claw. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, what about your killer MVP? Look, that's going to go to the the combination of, obviously, our, our director, Josh Rubin, and the cinematographer, uh, Brendan H. Banks, because this movie is shot in such a cool way, I feel like. The way that they alternate styles when they're getting into doing, like, all of the anthology stories, specifically that talent show one. That talent show mini story is my favorite part of this movie because of like all the alternating shots and how they do that whole thing. And I think it's so cool. So I don't know who's well, responsible for it. So I'm giving it to both of them. Well, look, I mean, it's a minimalist film, right? And that, mm-hmm. and you know, it, that's the other, that's the other thing that's great about scare me is it's like, it, it's kind of a message about just using what you have. Right. Yeah. You know, it like scare me is this really great movie and, and Ruben found a way to tell it. You know, as as 
not easily because it's definitely not easy, but he he found a way to tell it a- as uh, as best he could with what he had, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like he didn't have to build a werewolf. He didn't have <laughs> to, you know, rent out a concert stage for the musical, right? Yeah. Just get a cabin and work with what you got, right? So, so to me, again, yeah, no, I like that because it it touches on that thought of like, you know, if you're someone who's trying to be successful, work with what you got. Yeah. <laughs> You know, make the best of what you have. Don't try to overshoot and just make the best of what you got. So so I, I think, you know, I usually don't like to give it to the director because it's always kind of like the obvious one for me. And <laughs> since you kind of already mentioned it, I won't. But I will, I will say, like, look, realistically, Ruben's the MVP. He does act, write, and direct this yeah, movie. Yeah. Like, uh, it, it would not obviously be anything the same without him. Um, but I'm going to, but to go away from that, I'm going to give it to, uh, basically just the whole sound team, uh, yeah. because, because, you know, sound design, I feel like it's so overlooked in film most of the time and in horror, especially it's, it's really important to have good sound design. You know, I, there, there are so many films where I will give it negative marks just because the sound design isn't interesting, you know, or it's not used effectively. And it, in Scare Me, it's a really interesting use of sound design because most of the storytelling is being presented to us through sound. Mm-hmm. You know, it uses sound to create images uh, the same way that, you know, when we read a novel that creates an image in our mind, right? And this film is using sound to create images for the story that's being told. And so, yeah. so I, I just think it's a really great use of sound design. And I think that the entire team does such a great job in uh, what they're doing with this, and Ruben implement, implements it really well, you know, that it just, it, it ends up being just, I think, one of the more successful parts of the film is just how much that sound design manages to manipulate what we're seeing on screen. So, yeah. But anyway, so that's going to do it for us on Scare Me. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Maybe not one of our more enlightening episodes, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but hope you had a fun time listening. Anyway, so uh, next week is going to be Cabin. In the woods. Fuck yeah. <laughs> to end our Cabin in the Woods Horror Month. Uh, so if you haven't seen that, go check it out. Do your homework. Get a head start. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, we will see you next week and hope you enjoyed. So I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a good night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled, just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs> <laughs>